Hey, welcome to the show. Thank you for tuning in. We got a great show for you guys today. Yes, we interviewed Josh Gressel, and he is a clinical psychologist and couples counselor in a private practice, I think in San Francisco, and he's been doing it for over 32 years, and he's also been married for 38 years. So we kind of got a pretty cool perspective as being a, a therapist and then also having the real life knowledge of a lasting committed relationship. Long-term relationship. And that's what we're going to be talking about today is how to prevent the fatigue of a long-term relationship. And we get into the details of some thought exercises you can do and really about changing your perspective because we think that a lot of times we have unrealistic expectations based on how we grow up, movies, culture, and we talk about it in the show. And Sarah and I have said this before, we say it in the show, but we struggle in our relationship. That's why we started this podcast Mm -hmm. is to get relationship advice and apply it to our relationship, which sometimes we don't do. (laughs) A lot of the time we don't do it. Yeah, (laughs) We need to do it more. (laughs) And and we can always do it more. And when we're doing it, things are usually pretty good because- the work We're, pays off. Yes, but it, it takes work. So get to work and it, it's worth it. And that's why you're here. You wouldn't be here in the first place if you weren't trying to improve yourself, improve your relationship. So we commend you. Good job for being here. <laughs> Thank you for tuning in, for subscribing to the show, for leaving us review and telling your friends and family. We really appreciate it. And if you haven't checked out our website yet, idopodcast.com, please go on over there. We have a lot of free resources, free guides to download. We have a uh, 14-day happy couple challenge that's free. So yeah, check it out. And thank you so much. We hope you enjoy the show. Today's show is brought to you by our online course, Spark My Relationship. Create more passion, improve your communication, and build a stronger, more intimate connection with your partner in less than 90 days. We've collaborated with 15 therapists and psychologists to bring you the strategies marriage therapists teach their clients. To unlock a special offer only for I Do Podcast listeners, visit sparkmyrelationship.com slash unlock. That's sparkmyrelationship.com slash unlock. Hi, Josh. Thank you so much for joining us on the show today. Well, thank you, Sarah. I'm happy to be here. Today, we're going to talk about how we can fight off the fatigue of long-term relationships. And in an article you wrote, you set the scene by describing a couple you saw in the airport. And maybe you can start there. I thought that was so great. And then we can dive in. Yeah. (laughs) Well, I think it's probably a a pretty familiar scene for all of us that we've seen couples like this. It's uh, to some extent, it might even be considered a norm. I was uh, picking somebody up from the airport at San Francisco airport. And ahead of me was a couple probably in their 60s, I guess. And he was walking a good 20 feet in front of her, um, just kind of through, you know, just kind of in his own little world. And she was walking from behind him, 
kind of carping at him, saying to him, you know, I don't remember the specifics, but it was something along the lines of, you're not dragging the suitcase the way you're supposed <laughs> to be. And he was ignoring her. And I just thought, in some ways, doesn't that sum up um, what we think of in, in long-term marriage? I mean, doesn't that kind of really capture um, all that is we consider to be wrong with long-term marriage? And we're going to talk about ways to to prevent that or mindsets to take so we're not that couple in the airport. But you also wrote, it's like how fast we we kind of get used to that new car or the new pair of shoes we bought. Like when we first get it, it's exciting and 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 uh, or a new relationship, of course. But it's just interesting that that's such a part of our psychology that we're so trained to be excited and we got literally chemicals flowing through our body that are giving us endorphins and making us feel good, but that that will fade. And so we need to have the tools to know that that's okay and then to keep our the right mindset of not, oh, I need to trade this car in because now it's not new anymore. Exactly, Chase, and I, I, I think what you're hinting at, or what I'm, uh, what I'm trying to say too, is it's, it's really a question of our expectation, and how much do we accept? Like your car is no longer new. Does that mean you have to trade in your car every single year? I mean, is that what it takes for us to keep those? You know, I don't know whether it's endorphins or oxytocin or whatever it is. That would for us to feel excited in life. Do we have to constantly? change things and and what's lost if we do that and what can we gain if we don't and we learn to be more accepting of the reality that life isn't always so exciting and people aren't always so scintillating i mean um i think i think that a lot of what happens is our our notion for um for example for marriage is predicated on youth it's predicated on the values of youth, which is newness and freshness and hotness and sexiness and all of those things. Um, but it's just not possible for that to continue. And what happens when we have that unconscious or conscious expectation that we're supposed to feel like we used to or like we see on the, on the big screen and the reality of our marriage isn't that anymore? How do we change that mindset? Because like Chase mentioned, and you mentioned, like, do we change in our car every year? Or do we get a new iPhone every time a new one comes out? And the answer is with society right now is yeah, most people do. <laughs> and obviously, that carries over into relationships. So what would you suggest in terms of maybe switching that mindset? So that's not the first thing you want to do when things get hard or tough. Well, I think a conversation like this is a starting point. Um, you know, one of the things I ask somewhat provocatively is, why are we flattered when somebody says, well, you look younger than your age? Why is that, why is that a compliment? <sighs> you know, if you really yeah. stop and try to unpack that, why, why should that be a compliment? I feel like we overvalue youth, like you're saying, yeah. in our culture. Yeah. I think so too. And I think we're all, and look, I'm, I'm not like I told you before we got on the air, I, I'm not pretending that I'm an expert in this and that I don't struggle with it too. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm happily married for 38 years, but I struggle with the, you know, the very same things that I'm depicting here that come from a personal place, not just a professional place. 
it's really, really hard not to, um, now, for example, as I'm aging and I'm a gym rat, it's really, really hard for me that I can't really do the things I once did 25 years ago. Um, why? Why is that hard? I'm asking myself as well as you. <laughs> well, I was going to say, uh, what are some of the things that you try to tell yourself uh, in that situation? Yeah, well, I think I want to believe that every stage in life has got its own meaning and that our job is to try to learn the lessons from the stage of life we're in. And that's that's a, that's what we're supposed to be doing. So if I have to come to terms with the fact, for example, if I'm using the gym example, that I can no longer um, keep up with people 30 years my junior, what's the lesson there? That what's the, what's the beauty of me having to grapple with that? You know, 30 years ago, I had to grapple with establishing myself professionally. Um, and that had its own challenges. But this right now, now that you know, I've got all the other things in order, this is what I've got to grapple with. And I'm not quite sure because I think I'm in the middle of this, but um, I, I'm not sure I have a full answer to that. But I think it's got something to do with letting go, um, that we can't hold on to things beyond their time. And there was something else that was just on the tip of my tongue and ran out. <laughs> I guess maybe there's something even in that, you know, the fact that I, my, my mind doesn't work quite as sharply as it once did. I guess it's accepting the um, humanity of who we really are and no longer holding on to the external, you know, how do we appear? How, what's, what does our package look like to others? It's really kind of letting go of that and just being more vulnerable and more human in the world. I think that's a huge task, but an important one. And that this ties into long-term relationships or short-term relationships is this theme of what we see in the world and our expectations. And you hinted at it, but, but culture and culture valuing youth movies portraying the romance and and everything ends up happily ever after and it's not real life and that sounds like it's like yeah duh but i feel like it's it's pervasive like in western mm -hmm. society that from every angle and from a young age we're told a certain story and the story that we're told in the in the US is that you're going to find your soulmate and you're going to be married and ha live happily ever after. You know, that's the short version. And that's just not real. But even though, like, I know that it, it has shaped who I have become or who I was when Sarah and I met. And I'm still learning that 10 years into our relationship. You know, I didn't go into when Sarah and I got together, like, she's the one and we're going to live happily ever after. But it kind of slowly went towards that. And then I had real questions of like, why isn't this the way that I thought it should be, you know? And, mm -hmm. and it's just, I think if you can, the, the first step being just realize that you are a product 
of this culture that's telling you the, these things and to try to step outside of that. And, and, and then, like you said, enjoy or get the lessons from the moment that you're in, whether it's aging or being in a long-term relationship of like, this is hard. And hopefully just me sharing this story, you sharing this story. I think there's a lot of value in that because we're kind of debunking it. You know, Sarah and I try to say all the time, like we have a relationship podcast. Our relationship is rocky. It's <laughs> it's good mm-hmm. on the aggregate. We're happy, but there are ups and downs. There's times when we're very upset with each other. There's times that feel very dark, you know, and, and anyone that says otherwise, or if you see that in a, in a movie or a TV show, it's not real life. So, um, I just went on a bit there, but I think it's so important because I've realized how much it's affected my happiness because I have expectations that are not, uh, real, that are not based in real life. Right, right. And let's not and then even throw in the social media, which fortunately I'm not on. Um, but, you know, that, that kind of presentational life that everybody seems to be doing, look how happy, how beautiful, how perfect our lives are. It's pernicious, um, the whole thing. I'm glad you mentioned yeah. that. And, and you're not missing anything because, <laughs> <laughs> you know, and, it, and that is another area of my life that I realize. I'm way happier when I'm offline, when I'm not on social media, because I think it's in our DNA when you see someone else is, is you judge and you, and you compare. And so mm-hmm. you, people on social media, that is also not real life. And so look how happy they are They're They met so-and-so and I'm not saying that there's not happy people out there for sure. They're just not happy a hundred percent of the time, which is what you're seeing on social media. So I don't want to harp on that too much. Cause it's like people, it's like, Oh yeah, we know, but it is super important to have that realization and maybe take a digital detox. And I guarantee you're going to feel better. Mm-hmm. Well, to bring us back then to the long-term marriage and um, 10 years, I'm not sure how much you guys, I, I'm sure you can relate to some aspects of it, but um and I don't know how old you are, but you know, when the wrinkles set in and the body doesn't look quite like what it used to and all of that stuff that just becomes a part of it. I mean, the question is then how can you, um, first of all, let go of that attraction to the, to the pretty flower, to the, to the youth and to all of, you know, that looks like you're saying that our culture programs us to, I'm not sure it's just our culture. I think our culture is also a reflection of something innate in us. Um, there's probably some evolutionary, evolutionary biology in this as well, you know, that what we're attracted to, but even so, so how do we come to terms with, um, accepting aging and accepting the aging of our relationships, accepting the aging of ourselves physically, uh, accepting all of that that comes with just the years. Yeah. One of the things I've found, cause I've, I was a college athlete and, and you perform at a certain level and, and that changes, but is not focusing on the thing that I might be upset about, you know, and, and that's with me. But if I'm doing that with my partner as well, but you know, if, if it's like, uh, I can't run the, the mile as fast as I used to, I could sit there and like, 
try to run that mile as fast as I used to or focus on the fact that I can't or it can be an appearance thing. I got bags under my eyes now when I wake up. Instead of there's a there's a saying like the the object of attention um, breeds basically more attention. <laughs> like the more you pay attention to right, it, the more right. important it seems. So I don't know. I'm just trying to share something that I've found has been valuable in in relation to that. In in a long term relationship, it'd be easy to focus on your partner and the fact that they don't look like they used to and you could focus on it or you can pick something positive and that positive reinforcement would be a better loop to put yourself in. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm curious. I wanted to ask you, Sarah, because I know women have got their own very particular version of this, especially when it comes to uh, physical attributes. And I talk to women my age now and ask them what it's like for them to be invisible um, and some of them say it's wonderful. I, it's really nice not to be looked at as some kind of prey. And some of them say it's awful um, to suddenly become invisible. And I just wonder what your perspective on this is. Well, I'm only 33. So I feel like I have a younger body. I will say that I have given birth. I have a daughter. We have a daughter, Stella. And my body at 20 compared to 33 is completely different. And, you know, I don't like the way my breasts look as like I used to. And I have definitely a different body image as what I once had. But I will say that I I feel almost more confident in my body now than I did when I was 20. And so... I can't really compare it to, you know, women who are, like you said, maybe in their 50s who are at a different phase of their life, but I I I feel more confident and I like my body more than than I did for for other reasons, I guess you could say. More of like I'm proud that my body has gone through this amazing transition and um the ability to produce a child. I don't know, that has something mm-hmm. to do with it, I think. Mhm. Yeah, I have this pet theory. I have no idea, of course, it has any real reality, but there's something that a woman doesn't become fully embodied until she gives birth. Mm-hmm. There's something in that process of really putting her into her body in a way that you just can't do in the abstract. And I wonder if that's a little bit of what you're describing. Yeah, I think so. I think there is an element of being able to really be in touch with your body, like you mentioned, and being aware of a lot of these things. I think I have grown over the last 13 years. Well, my whole life really, but in this time period that we're talking about that has allowed me to really appreciate my body and, and everything. Well, let me ask you too, since, um, you know, I had this conversation when I, when, um, when this article came out in psychology today on the fatigue of long-term relationships And um, my children are your age, more or less, and they're all married. And it actually seemed, I was kind of surprised, it was threatening to them that I was writing this. Not so much that they were worried about their parents' marriage, but that um, they wanted to think that as they got older, they would be the exception to this rule. They couldn't believe that, you know, they they just kept thinking, well, if, if, Marriage, when it gets, you know, 30, 40 years in, if it's tired, it's because the people haven't done what they needed to do, or there's some, they had some kind of notion that um, they can avoid this. 
And it just, they were threatened by it. So I just, I guess I'm wondering, you know, if you're 33 and I don't know, Chase, how old you are, what is, what does it sound like to you when I tell you, well, you know, you're 10 years in, let's talk again when you're 30 or 40 years in, and I hope you will be, um, what it's like for you. I think that was a natural reaction from, from your kids. And I think that might be a lot of people's is like, oh, not us. Like, mm-hmm. we'll, we'll, we're not going to get older or, you know, <laughs> like that's, I think one of the, um, maybe the benefits of youth, but also <laughs> not is that, yeah, you kind of, you're in your own little world and, and that does start to change. But I think even as you get into your midlife, 50s, 60s, you don't feel like a 50-year-old. I don't feel like a 33. I'm 33. You don't, you know, in, in my head, I'm still like 20. And in some ways, that's good. But in some ways, I think what you're hitting at is, is a bit idealistic. And we, <laughs> Sarah and I, I don't think we had crazy, unreal expectations, but it's certainly we've had, you know, struggles in our relationship and 10 years in was a lot different than, than even five years in. And so 20 years is going to be a lot different too. And I think the key are the things that, you know, we're talking about here in checking your expectations, but in some of the other things we'll go over, but really doing the work, I think it doesn't just happen. Um, Is that kind of your experience? Before we continue on, we're going to take a short break to tell you about our sponsors. Today's episode is brought to you by Plan to Eat. So I am a big fan of planning out my meals in advance for the week and only having to go to the grocery store once. I have like a weird thing (laughs) about going to the grocery store more than once a week. You do. And I think it's rubbed off on me. So (laughs) I'm in the same boat, but I am horrible about organizing recipes and creating lists for the grocery store. I always end up forgetting like the crucial ingredient for whatever recipe I'm trying to make. And so we end up making like boring salads with grilled chicken. So no fun. (laughs) It's okay. But for me, it's super important that Stella is introduced to a variety of flavors and foods, which means we need to start cooking a lot more and plan to eat makes it a whole lot easier to do that. Plan to eat was born from their desire to eat real and delicious food prepared at home. Plan to eat is a tool to help you prepare delicious wholesome food that nourishes both body and soul. So here's how it works. And I just gave Chase the whole demonstration and he is super stoked. So (laughs) plan to eat is a subscription service that gives you the tools to clip and organize recipes from any website. I just showed him how I clipped from like multiple websites, create a meal plan, and then their software automatically creates and organizes a shopping list based on your plan. And like I just mentioned, I just added my favorite Kenyan braised beef recipe, which is so good. And I literally copy and pasted the URL and it turned it into a perfect grocery list. And it was super pretty because it's formatted like by each area in the grocery store of what you need to get. And so I am super stoked to use it. Yeah, it's pretty impressive, just like the technology or whatever's going on with the algorithm. I just don't even know what that is. It's amazing. (laughs) How it does that. And 
With your subscription, you can access your meal plans and shopping lists on your desktop and their mobile app, and they have a full-time support team to help you get started and answer any questions that you may have. Plan to Eat offers monthly and yearly options for $4.95 a month or $39 a year. That's only 75 cents a week. Less than a dollar. Less than a dollar, people. If you didn't know what 75 (laughs) cents was. And they also include a free, fully functional 30-day trial with no payment required so you can easily see if it's right for you. Plan to Eat only has one big sale per year, but if you visit plantoeat.com slash I do, you can start a 60-day trial instead of their normal 30-day trial. For free. Fall free. So <laughs> check it out. We know it will make your life a lot easier like it has for mine. So visit plantoeat.com slash I do to start your free 60-day trial. Today's episode is also brought to you by Atlantis. Did you recently get engaged and are now dreaming of a Bahamas destination wedding? With more than 15 unique wedding and reception venues, from an elegant ballroom reception to an oceanside gathering under the stars, it's so easy to imagine your dream wedding coming to life at Atlantis. Chase and I are even considering flying down to Atlantis to renew our vows because the lush tropical setting is just amazing. It's so beautiful. Atlantis offers seven different packages to choose from, starting with just the basics to full production of the wedding, and each couple has their own dedicated wedding and event specialist that is on-site and helps the couples customize their special day preferences. Atlantis's unique ocean-themed resort offers a variety of accommodation choices, from the relaxed tropical ambience of the beach and coral hotels, the iconic royal, the contemporary comfort of the reef, to the sheer luxury of the all sweet style at the cove. And from the little kids all the way up to the grandparents, there's something to do on the property for the whole family. There's a casino, adventure water park, spa, where the bride and her wedding party can indulge in a variety of relaxing pre-wedding treatments, an 18-hole golf course for the guys to escape and play around, marine life experiences, fitness center, movie theater, 21 restaurants, and so much more. And traveling to Atlantis for you and your guests is a breeze. There are daily nonstop flights from most major U.S. cities. Check out AtlantisBahamas.com to learn more and make sure to mention I Do Podcast to receive the best room rates and up to 10% off your wedding package. Again, that's AtlantisBahamas.com and mention I Do Podcast to receive 10% off your wedding package. Oh, I mean, that's one of the points I put in that article is anybody who tells you you can just kind of coast once you get married is lying. They're just, it's just not true. You have to continually work at it. My wife and I work, I don't know if you're familiar with what's called imagotherapy. It's a kind mm-hmm. of couples therapy and there's, that's, that's the kind of couples therapy I do as a psychologist, but there's this dialogue process where you sit down and across from each other and mirror each other. And we do that every single week. We've been doing it for the past 15, 16 years now. It requires work and there's just no getting around it. Um, just before we leave the, the, the point you were, um, we were talking about just now about the um, youth, you know, one of the things when, when, like my son would say, well, that's, that's not the case. And my daughter-in-law, I said, that, that doesn't have to be the case. I said, name me an exception. 
maybe an exception of an older couple you know that's still fresh and just like youth and all of that. And if they couldn't. They couldn't. And I was going to say, even my own marriage, which, again, it's a good marriage. We work on it, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. It does not look like stuff in the movies. It, and we, it's just not that way anymore. You know, sometimes we're like that couple I described in the airport when we started our conversation. <laughs> That's us sometimes. That's the reality. I I also think, too, that when you are in a newer, fresh relationship or you're younger, it's easy to take the approach of almost like the ignorance is bliss. Like you're not really focused on all this work that you will will inevitably have to do in the future. And so until that point, you just kind of go along with everything is great. And until it's not, <laughs> until it's not. And, and, and then reality <laughs> yeah. hits. And so yeah. I do yeah. think that, I mean, that's an understandable reaction that your, your kids had re, you know, regarding the article. Right. Yeah. You know, I, I work with a lot of couples um, in your, in your cohort, you know, the 30 somethings where the kids come and they, they're just, I mean, it's like you just got hit by a freight train when you have kids. <laughs> I, I tell people, you know, you can hide your crazy until you have your first child and then all your stuff comes out. You can, you can look really good until then. But as, as from my perspective now, you know, several decades removed from that stage, um, it's, I just have nothing but compassion for what 30-somethings in uh, a marriage with young kids are going through. It, it's so hard. You have no idea how hard it is. I mean, I, I had um, my my youngest and his wife came to live with us when they moved, and they had a six-week-old and a three-year-old, and I thought I remembered what it was like to wow. have small children. I had no idea. I had totally forgotten. You just, I guess it's, I've, I've heard this about childbirth that, you know, you, you blissfully forget from childbirth to childbirth, what it was really like. Mm-hmm. It's amazingly hard. And so my, my heart goes out and my hat goes off to all you 30 somethings out there who are in the middle of the, you know, it's an exciting phase, but it's so intense. <laughs> just, anyhow, my little soapbox on that. I really want to dive into these tips that, that you gave. And I love this conversation and, and we're hitting some important points, but I want to make sure we have time to go over some of the others and uh, maybe we can slip right back in. We kind of talked about it a little, but that there's no easy way to stay connected and stay growing and requires conscious and sustained effort. Like, like we've been harping on. Yep. Yeah, and you know, people do that in different ways. I describe the way my wife and I do it. Um, I know lots of people do date nights, but you just cannot go on automatic pilot. You cannot slip into taking each other for granted. It's, you know, it's just the beginning of the end if you do. You have to constantly, constantly work at staying awake, at staying alive, at staying real with each other. And it's easy. I mean, the paradox, of course, is the longer you're married, the easier it is to flip into automatic pilot because you are secure. You know, you know, he or she is not going to leave me. But that's um, that's the beginning of the end in terms of aliveness or to be alive. It has to be real. And yeah. That's an important That's what I'd say about that. One of the other points you talked about is to seek out other friendships rather than load 
all the needs onto your partner. And we've had shows where we've focused on this specifically and it's super valuable, but I think it's so important that we should just talk about it right now too. And and being that you have been married for, you said 38 years, I would love to hear your opinion on how you dealt with this in your marriage. Well, it's a challenge um, because it's very easy for one one or the other to feel threatened by these connections, um, even if they're not sexual. Um, just the, you know, I, I, first of all, let me start by thinking, I don't think it's realistic to expect your, your marriage partner to be everything. And um, I think there's somebody who wrote a book, I don't remember when it came out, um, the all or nothing marriage or something. I, at any mm-hmm. rate, I heard this discussion about how over time, and this is a more recent development, we've come to expect our marriages to be best friend, passionate lover, business partner, travel. I mean, it's supposed to fulfill everything. And that's just not realistic to do that. So I think it, it, it um, is necessary to let there be space for other people to feel some needs and not to feel threatened when that does. And one other point, I didn't make this in the article I wrote, but I've, I've, this is another one of my pet theories that I can't empirically prove yet. Um, I think that one of the pairings in couples is there's somebody who's more naturally monogamous and somebody who's more naturally a seeker. So that you will see these couples where one person is constantly looking outside the marriage for external something. And I'm not talking about sex. It's not, I'm talking about affairs. I mean, that, that, that can be, of course, too. But I'm talking more about just has more of a need for these um, outside stimulations or stimuli. And, and then there's the, the partner who's the more naturally monogamous, let's call it, uh, is feeling, well, what, aren't I enough for you? Or isn't this enough? So just being alert to that also in your marriage, who is, who, Who's taking on that role? It's easy, of course, to say, well, the person who's more naturally the seeker is the one causing all the disruption and and is the problem. Why aren't they more satisfied? I think that's an oversimplification. I think we tend to take on um, roles in in our marriage. So like in my own marriage, I'm the more natural seeker. And so that's, I, I'm the one who stirs the pot all the time. And my wife is the one who provides the stability. And we can, you know, I can feel guilty about that. Why am I, why am I constantly seeking? But um, I can also, and I do believe this, that I provide a lot of the lifeblood by doing that, just like she provides a lot of the stability. So I just wanted to bring that point in that I do think um, we can be, we should be aware of that potential in marriages that one person will more naturally lean in one direction and one person will more naturally lean in the other. Uh, yeah, we were, as you were saying that, Chiz and I are kind of nodding our heads because that's the same dynamic that we have in our relationship. And it's so true that luckily Chase is like that because I feel like he is the one that continues to bring the growth into our relationship, which is so important. And I value that so much. And Sarah I... brings the stability <laughs> or else we'd just be all over the place. Right. Yeah. And I would say, of course, if we're going to be honest, that Sarah, you're probably going to say, I value that so much and I'm also threatened by it. And and Chase right. will say, you know, I I value your stability, but sometimes I feel limited by it. I mean, I think we have mm-hmm. to acknowledge that both of those things are going to be true. 
Yes. We like it and we mm-hmm. don't like it. Yep. You're so, so <laughs> spot on. Yeah. Acknowledging it is, uh, is important in half the battle. So thank you for that. And I want to, I want to read this one directly from your article because I love the way you wrote it. And that is to let go of criticism. And you say, you don't need to say 99% of the critical things you want to say to your partner. You've already said them at one time or another, <laughs> and they will do nothing to make your marriage better, even if you're 100% right. So I love that. It's like, you've already said it. You know, there's no point in, you've been together for, even if it's three or five years, like you don't need to harp right. on it. Yeah. Have you ever successfully cleaned somebody through your criticism? I mean, the answer is always no. So why do you keep at it? Why try? And what I do find when I work with couples, that something as simple as this, which is in one hand common sense, but when you just say it as baldly and as, you know, hit them over there, just stop it. It does no good. It never will do any good. Don't do it. We need these kind of basic zip your lip uh, admonitions to, because, you know, when the moment comes when you're just dying to say that thing that you, you're so sure you're right. You need something really concrete, basic, and, you know, clear. Don't do it. And, yeah, it it saves me a lot. Not all the time, unfortunately, but most of the time. Just shut up, Josh. You don't need to say what you want to say. And along those same lines, you also mentioned that honesty is so important and say what you mean, but don't say it meanly or mean. Right. (laughs) Which is so important. Yeah, that's, uh, I heard that from somebody. I think that's not my line. Say what you mean, don't say it mean. I think that's from the 12-step programs. And they are a well, you know, I, I love 12-step programs for all the pithy things they come up with. And I think that's one of theirs. Yeah, is it's zipping your lip from criticism is not to say um, don't speak up when something hurts or something's bothering you. That's not, I'm not saying that. I'm saying you do need to say that, but you need to say it in a clean way, not a critical way. So, yeah, that's I, I just like that saying. Say what you mean. Don't say it mean. So for somebody who is listening and maybe they can relate to being a little bit more on the critical side, obviously awareness to this issue is, is the first step. But are there any tools that somebody could use to kind of... Uh, snap out of that critical mode or that urge to want to always snap back or snap at your partner? You know, it's going to sound somewhat like a cliche, but my experience bears this out. Usually the most critical people of others are, if you dive down, they're mostly, they're more critical of themselves than they are of anybody else. They're constantly, constantly criticizing themselves, telling themselves they're not enough this, they're not enough that. And then, and then, it's just very natural for them to extend that outwards into other people. I mean, they, they, that's their, their mind is almost like programmed along those grooves, you know? So I guess I would say, yeah, ask, um, are you being compassionate enough with yourself? Are you cutting yourself enough slack? Are you being kind enough to yourself? I think that is what I would say to somebody who's really got that critical thing going. Um, just to learn to be more compassionate with themselves. And I think that will help them be more compassionate with others. One of the other things you talk about 
is to take advantage of what you have in a long-term partnership that you can never get in a new relationship. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, I mean, you know, you two have been, I, I say this to couples, I'm sure it's true for you, if God forbid something would have happened to either one of you, um, you know, you'd probably remarry or, or whatever, but no one could ever take the place of who you are for each other. You know, you've, you're already intertwined after 10 years in such a meaningful way, all the different holidays and birthdays and, you know, even the fights, everything, you're, 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 there's a connection there that is not easily replaced. You know, the serial monogamists who do this every six months or every year, they never get the same kind of depth and richness and pain and joy and all of that that comes from what you two have co-created in your 10 years together. And it sounds like you've got one child. Um, yeah, so is to really appreciate that the person you're with is irreplaceable. Nobody, nobody, nobody can step into those shoes and fill out all that. That's just because you've, you've grown together. And so it's a big deal. And as the longer it gets, the more that's true, you know, that you, you're, you know, that you're at this point, I'm with my wife longer than I was single by far. Um, and it's just, I don't even want to contemplate what it would be like without her. And one of the other things you talk about is to think about how you've grown, hopefully, into a more secure lifestyle as a part of being in this long-term relationship. Right. And and I think what I also said in there is not to, not to use that, you know, as you're, the more years you are together, hopefully the more secure you become with each other. But you don't want to use that to coast. You want to use that to continue to take chances, to continue to grow. That you can do things with that security that you can't do when you're still in that hunting phase. You know, when the excitement's nice and exciting, but it doesn't give you the security to really take some big risks personally, for example, that you want to do something, put yourself out in the world in some new way, or I don't know, or if it's a business thing or I mean, it sounds like you two together doing what you're doing with these podcasts is a, a really lovely example of risk-taking and growth and development um, that you're able to do together based on the security of your relationship. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. And this is an exercise that I've done where I'm like, if I, if Sarah and I hadn't been together for this long, I would probably be like a beach bum somewhere. <laughs> and, <laughs> and not that that's yeah. the worst thing in yeah. the world, cause, but, you know, because I don't try to be super negative, but I'm like, play that thought exercise and, and do it in a, I guess, like an honest way. And I wouldn't, I, I might be a beach bum and just struggling to get by. Instead, I'm a beach bum and we have a podcast and, 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 <laughs> right. and I right. have a place to, to well, sleep at night. Yeah, and I'm going to say something that I know is probably, I don't know if it's politically incorrect, but it's not. By and large, most people do better off being partnered with somebody. I think it's very easy to be cool and groovy or a cool, groovy beach bum when you're all single and everything. You don't, the rubber meets the road when you have to live with somebody. And that forces a development that cannot happen single. So I think by and large, people become much wholer, much more rich and developed and interesting and full um, 
by being partnered than by being single. I we agree. We agree. <laughs> yeah, and and I think that's the beauty of relationships that we talked about, long and short term, even, but they're a mirror to to grow. Because if I'm just on the beach by myself, I have no one to communicate with, and even if I have you know short relationships here and there, I'm not really seeing like, oh, that thing that I do, that's not productive. I'm I'm not communicating well. I'm not, you know, being empathetic. And and that's really where we can grow. And so um I think it's important to take that perspective. I know it's helped me because it's not always easy. You know, there's times where you're like, you play that game of thinking like, well, what if, you know, we had done this differently or we weren't together for so long and and it's easy to kind of go down that path and instead of asking yourself the questions and playing the thought exercises that we've gone over here today. Right. And it's it's hard. That's the thing. I, I think maybe that's kind of the way to sum this up. Like youth is, there's something easy about it. It's easy to be hot. It's easy to be good looking. It's easy. All those things are easy. It's hard to do the work that you have to do, but that's where um, the value comes in. All these struggles that you're describing that, you know, you and Sarah, like all other couples go through. Yeah, it's hard, but that's where the growth comes from. It's from the difficulty. Well, Josh, thank you so much for sharing these tips and some of your personal experiences from being married for 38 years. We appreciate that. And uh, why don't we wrap up by having you tell our listeners where they can find you online and then we'll say goodbye. Okay. Uh, online, it's just my name, www.joshgressel, J-O-S-H-G-R-E-S, as in Sam, S-E-L.com. Wonderful. We'll have the link to your website as well as the article you wrote on the podcast description and on our website at idpodcast.com. And I know we went over a majority of the the list that you created. So we encourage our listeners to check out the article to see all of them. And uh, thank you again for joining us on the show. Thank you. It was a pleasure. Hi guys, we hope you enjoyed today's episode. As always, all the links are in the show notes page, as well as on the podcast description. And while you're on our website, we encourage you guys to check out our 14 day happy couple challenge. We send you an email for 14 days with simple, doable challenges to help strengthen and improve your relationship. And on our website, we also have a bunch of free resources for your relationship. So we encourage you to check those out. Uh, We also have our love tribe on Facebook. Uh, We encourage you guys to join the tribe and uh, be there for support for each other. If you have questions or just need some relationship advice, we are all here for each other. Um, The group has grown to almost a thousand people um, and we love it. So we hope you guys join that. You can go to Facebook, Love Tribe Fam, and you'll find us right there. And if you are interested in learning more about our flagship course, Spark My Relationship, we hope you guys check it out. We have a special offer that is only for podcast listeners. So you can go to sparkmyrelationship.com slash unlock and you can unlock that special offer and learn more as always thank you guys so much and we'll see you next week